for the fall, we're starting off with a little different kind of series. We're going to actually spend time thinking about the question of what is the role of the church in society. Now tonight, like most of our talks, is an intro. We always start with an intro. That means I want to hear a lot more from you, and I'm going to be doing less, even less than normal speaking. <laughs> you guys probably think I just talk too much, but tonight I'm going to really <laughs> leave it in your hands. Now, you might have taken a church and society class or a church and culture class. We're not going to try to duplicate that. We might bring up some of those concepts, and you can feel free to bring up whatever you want. I'm really focusing on this question. What is the role of the church in society? And normally, I'll begin by throwing out a bunch of definitions and ideas. Today, I'm just going to throw out a couple just so we know what we're talking about, and then I'm going to throw the questions out, and you're going to talk back to me. So let me just first, anticipating what somebody's going to say is, well, what do we mean by church? So I've kind of defined it this way, very loosely, by the way. I really am not trying to zero in on a specific definition. I'm trying to mean the body of Christ in the world, or all those who follow Christ, maybe even the local expression, especially even the local expression of the church. And just Christians acting together, or even individually. You could rephrase the question as, what are the role of Christians in society? And that would be just as good. I'm not trying to come up with walls for the discussion. I just want to say, wide open. But at least you can understand where I'm coming from, from this question. And I've cited some ideas here for the body of Christ. For example, it's discussed in Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. Or a description of the church is all those who follow Christ, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. The churches and the local expression. Paul frequently writes about them in his letters to the churches. Here we're talking about, for example, in Galatians 1, verse 1 and 2, he starts that way. So, what's the role of church? Big C, small C, Christians, it's all fair game. What about society? What do I mean by that? Again, I don't want to set walls to the discussion. It could mean just our culture. It could mean in government, politics, the legal arena, societal beliefs, norms, all of that. You'll see tonight we start off with things that are just going on, current events in the news right now. So what is our role? Should there be one? Should we just withdraw? Should we engage? Those are the kinds of questions we're going to be addressing. What really is the role of Christians? Because if it's not our role, well, we'll be coming back at some point and talking about things that are our role. And maybe we just save our energy and not engage in these things. All right? Those are kind of the setup for you. So in English, the question could be asked like this. Is this something that the church should be involved in? Maybe that's what we're asking tonight. Now, there are some things, I think, that we should be involved in. Things that are the mandates of the church. Here's a couple. For example, proclaiming the gospel, caring for the needs of the community, educating people about the Bible, interceding in prayer, you could add worship, you could add communion, the list could go on and on of things that all of us would say, yes, that's something the church should be involved in. So tonight, as an opener, we could talk about these. Should the church be involved in these things? Controversies over the building of an Islamic center. Efforts to legalize same-sex marriage. Does the church have any business in those arenas? What do you think? I'm going to stop talking now and hear from you. Yes. I was sort of saying that I think that at the very least the church should not be a negative voice against things spewing hate. That is something. I 
definitely believe we should not be doing this feeling hate towards others, especially when we haven't really examined the issues. Okay. No spewing hate. That's a hard one to disagree with, but I want you to think about that. I mean, maybe we're not going to spew hate, but don't we have a right to stand up and say things that might somebody else might say that's hateful just because they don't like what we're saying? Do you think that the church has a role to play here? Should we just remain silent? Should we withdraw? Should we run in full force with a crusade? I love that word. <laughs> what do you guys think? Yeah, Jeremy. Well, I think it's maybe more nuanced. I mean, you could say, like I would say with the first two, it depends on your perspective. Like, if you believe that, um, that it's wrong to oppose the building of an Islamic center, um, maybe you don't, I don't know if you would, that one I don't think you either, you don't need to involve a Christian perspective, or I think that's just more like a legal issue. So I would say, no, maybe we're not involved. I think the second one's more controversial because depending on the perspective you come from, then you would be heavily involved. I mean, if you're against it or for it, you may be heavily involved and you may think it's a religious issue even, right? But it just depends on your view. Okay. Let me give you a couple of examples and you tell me how you react to these things. Let's take the building of an Islamic center start with that one for a moment. What I want to do is I want to play you a couple of ways in which the media has actually portrayed Christianity and their involvement. I want to see what your attitudes might be. Um, I'm going to have Anthony click on that audio file right now. And this is from National Public Radio. It's a two-minute clip on the Islamic Center. I believe this is the one that's going on in Temecula. NPR's David Shaper now has more on some of the anti-Muslim rhetoric increasing around the country. Local opposition to new mosques is nothing new, but usually, at least publicly anyway, the critics complain about increased traffic, noise, and more traditional zoning concerns. We want our country But in Temecula, California recently, protesters weren't shy at all about saying exactly why they don't want this proposed mosque. I don't care for their religion. I don't care for their politics. Cynthia Dom was one of about two dozen protesters. I don't want them here opening mosques in every city, trying to open it up on Ground Zero in New York, where they killed thousands and thousands of people. It doesn't, they don't belong here. They don't belong here. Though supporters of the mosque outnumbered opponents in Temecula that day three to one, such anti-Islamic sentiment appears to be on the rise. There have been similar protests against mosques in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, near Sheboygan, Wisconsin, and elsewhere. And it's not just mosques being targeted, but increasingly the Muslim faith itself. A church in Gainesville, Florida, is planning a Burn the Quran Day on September 11th. In Tennessee, Lieutenant Governor Ron Ramsey suggested last month Islam is a cult and may not be protected by the First Amendment. I cannot think of a time in which anti-Islamic sentiment has been higher than it is today. Muslim scholar and author Reza Aslan says the anti-Muslim fervor in this country is even greater now than it was after September 11, 2001. He believes part of it comes out of the recent attempted terrorist acts in this country, such as the failed Times Square car bombing. Aslan and others also point to anxiety over the poor economy as another factor. But I think the truth of the matter is that there has been certain television networks, news networks, and certain politicians, Republican and Democrat, who have really latched on to this paranoia, this fear of Muslims in the United States, and have done so for economic and political gain. David Shaper, NPR News. Uh, give me your reactions, one way or another, anything. Anything goes tonight, but just keep in mind the question is, is this something the church should be involved in? It's gotten to go too far afield because... 
this could open up a lot. Joseph. Well, first of all, I just want to point out that there's always going to be thematics, and tonight is going to be the one that's going to be focused on, especially with this. But um, I think one of the first things to look at is if you believe it's a moral issue. Because if you believe, like, like I'm from Taiwan and something like something that just happened in Taiwan and believe that Taiwanese and this is more an issue for Taiwan than it could possibly be a Christian issue because Christ called us to be uh, to a certain degree advocate morality. I don't know how much you know that is, but I think first question is, is do you think it's a strong moral issue? So from your perspective, if it's a moral issue, then Christians should get involved. Uh, it's a, one of the first criteria. I wouldn't say it's, that's it. Okay. Anyone else? Randy. I think that whole thing sounded like a bunch of racist bigotry, man. Like, what, what's to stop them from like, turning around and doing the same thing to Christians next? If we're going to be downing other religions, like, oh, we don't want Muslims here. Next thing you know, they're going to be like, oh, we don't want Christians here. Like, they're a cult. They could be saying the same thing about us in a minute. If we, so if we promote something like this, just, you know, we're just setting ourselves up for a fall later down the road, I think. I think they already are saying that. Yeah, you're right. AJ? I think also similarly to what Randy was saying is uh, that, that lady who was speaking, you know, talking about like them, 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 lumping them all together as one piece, as one like ideology is completely false. We have a tendency to try to fall into that. And I think it also can be reversed onto us as well because when I tell somebody I'm a Christian, they say, oh, well, then you hate gay marriage, you hate this, you hate this, and this, and this. And I don't think that that should be something that people should associate first if I say, oh, yes, I'm a Christian, you know? Okay, the statement that David Kinnaman writes in UnChristian is that Christians have become known for what they're against, not what they're for, which has become the statement that's often repeated now. Okay. Anyone else? Comments? Abby? I think that this is definitely like kind of what Jill was talking about, like the negative, sort of like the church, or at least like this specific example, um, is kind of that portrayal. And I think that it stems a lot from there just being a lack of understanding until something hits the news or some like some sort of bump there is and so in the sense of like should the church be involved in the building of an Islamic Center I don't know but they should definitely be involved in the process building up to that so like we are constantly aware of what is going on in the Muslim community and in the Islamic community so that we're not shocked and surprised by like this or that thing um, because we coexist but we really don't know much about them so I'm not necessarily, I think that there should be some, at least education-wise, that the church should be involved in educating Christians about, like, hey, other religions exist. So I think that at least the knowledge or at least the like, discussion is definitely something that the church should be involved with. A lot of you ignorance on what you were saying. Um, and I think that that's something that can be addressed, like it should be addressed, with, like education about things. Um, of even recognizing that people aren't just one person doesn't represent necessarily a whole group. Um, but I think what for me is the big question, which I is I'm difficult, like I'm not really sure how to deal with, is like well this idea if like, if as Christians we say we really truly believe that like, what we believe is true, that Christ is the only way, like um, then there is an acknowledgement of like this Islam is not the right way. Um, and there is a degree which, okay, well, yeah, you can work together, but, like, 
have any support of like, I want to help support building a building that would promote something that's false. Like, if we really truly believe it's false, then why would we want to have any support for it? Not necessarily that we should actively oppose it. That's really the question that I want to narrow it to, and I know that isn't the question that is in front of you, but I want to start to narrow it that way by saying, agreed. The, the real issue for us will be, as we go forward in the series, is this something the church should be opposing? Like putting the energy behind to oppose, as opposed to just say, not support, or actively support, like, should we actually be opposing? But that's it's not on the screen yet, but that's kind of where I'm going. Brittany? Well, in general, I think most Christians are ignorant about Islam and a lot of things in general. So I would be like, well, should we really be involved in something we don't know about? And by involved, you mean against or for or either, both of them? Either. Involved at all. If we don't know anything about it, really, I mean, maybe we think we know about it, but we haven't studied it. We, we haven't researched anything. Um, then should we be involved? I don't know. I Personally, I would be like, no, you need to understand what's going on first, and then maybe you can decide something. Let me push back. What if you take Philip's position and say, I do know that Christianity, though, claims to be the only way, so this can't be the right way. So I don't know anything about it, but I know it can't be the right way. Let's assume that that's all you knew. Would that change your answer? Well, that really depends on your theology within Christianity. But I'm talking about his theology. Not yours, his. So he's saying, like, let's say I assume I believe that. Would that be enough for them to oppose it, or do you still think they should stay out of it because they don't know enough about what they're opposing? I still think that they need to know more about what they're opposing before they oppose it. Okay. Megan? I think, like, maybe we'll start to process a little bit as we go, but I think it'll be interesting to figure out, like, what does it look like to oppose it? Because that is not the only way to oppose it. And how, you know, can you oppose it by like bringing in something better? Not, I don't mean like a better religion, but I mean like some other, you know, positive thing instead of just having to cut it down. So that complicates it. Good, going this way, anyone? Yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say, I think there's like an assumption there, right? In that um, even if it was the case that Christianity is the true religion, in this country it wouldn't matter because constitutionally and legally, everybody has the right to practice their religion. We just don't live in a, in a, in a, in a culture that acts the way, or acts the way in which we think it should. And I think that we have, we have to, basically we have to step back and say, well, you know, I can believe that this is the only way, and I can say I believe it's the only way, so therefore I should oppose it. But that's irrelevant, because I mean, you can think that all you want, but I don't think that that really matters as it, like when you step back and you look at where we live, I mean, I don't know how you existentially deal with that irrelevance. I think that's the problem, if you don't mind me pushing back. I think that that's a philosophical issue, but it's not really a practical one. Here's why. If I believe that Jesus is the only way, which I do, I have a dilemma. And even though theoretically or philosophically or existentially the culture might say you shouldn't actually exercise your right to oppose, I still have a higher mandate that I believe I'm responsible to, to think, what is the Christian's role? Forget society for a moment. That's why they're kind of at odds. I still have to think, what should I do? What should my church do? What should all Christians do? And the society may be totally against it, which we've seen at various points in history it has been, and I believe it is now. So even though 
the society demands tolerance and demands that everybody just live together and demands a separation of religious expression into the private sphere from the public sphere, even though that's the norms we live in. The question, and that's why we're doing this series, is but what do you do as a Christian? Not what do you think or believe, but are you supposed to act out, live out your faith in that way, or are you going to be silenced by the greater societal norm of, no, you can't do that even if you believe you should? But I like Megan's comment. That doesn't mean that you have to oppose it first, and even if you did, well, what does opposition mean? And so we still haven't answered the question. I just want to make sure that we don't, this is a bad word, but cheat by getting around it and just saying, well, but the society wouldn't even allow you to do that. It's like, well, I've seen plenty of people, at least even in the Bible, who went to jail because of what they believed they had to do despite what the society wanted them to do. Megan? And I think, too, like, one thing that I also want to parse out is, you know, how do we spend our time? Because, like, there are so many different battles to fight, and we think like economically, and the fact that we have limited resources per se of like how much we can hear, how much we can do, like maybe maybe it is worth opposing this. Let's just say, but is it more worthwhile of our time than you know, like hunger and poverty and all sorts of other maybe greater things? Okay, last comment before we move on to another clip. Yeah, I think also like just in general. Especially if you take this view of like, oh, well, Christianity is like the truth and the only way and things like that. Like, I think a lot of churches take, seem to take an arrogant view of like, I don't need to learn from other religions. I don't need to learn from other people's beliefs. And like, if opposition in this instance meant trying to stop these types of things or not even looking into learning about it, like, I think that's, that's really bad and really like arrogant to just think, I don't need to learn from these people, I don't need to know anything about their religion, but I can say I'm going to oppose it and try to like stop this being developed or something like that. It's more than arrogant, you're right. Randy said bigoted. There's a lot of emotion here. Let's acknowledge that. Did you hear the beginning of this clip? Now I know more about this clip because I've been researching and studying around it. So there is a church group that was involved in this protest. One of them was wearing a shirt that just said vote for Jesus. You know, as if he was running for office anytime soon. Um, but did you hear the first cry? Maybe you didn't hear it. Did you hear the, what has become now my favorite phrase in American politics? We want our country back. There is so much anger and frustration and fear and hatred and bigotry just in making a statement like that. We want our country, but who took it away from you? Where did it go? I mean, when you start to answer that question about who you think took it away from you, it belies a lot of the frustration and anger and bigotry that's behind it. But here's the greater point. So don't, don't get caught on that point for a moment. Here's the greater one. What does we want our country back have to do with a protest of a mosque? I mean, even if you're there as a group on religious grounds opposing something you don't believe is godly, what does a political slogan have to do with that in the first place? Or are you starting to conflate, mix up in your mind, a political agenda and a religious agenda, no matter how misguided or focused either one of them may be? What do they have to do together is the greater question that we're going to be answering in this series in part. We have to take that apart. How often do we slide and forget where faith matters have become blended with other matters, where our own selves our own backgrounds, maybe our nationality, 
maybe our political conviction, somehow so much infiltrates and poisons our religious view that we actually forget which is which. And I hear that. Listen to this next clip. This is about a protest of a mosque in Tennessee. We won't dwell as much on this one, but listen to the wording on this one and see if you can hear some of that conflation. This is All Things Considered from NPR News. I'm Robert Siegel. Many opponents of the planned mosque in New York, near Ground Zero, argue that an Islamic center is fine, just not there. But in other parts of the country, people are saying, not here either. Outside Nashville, the proposed mosque has divided the community. For member station WPLN, Blake Farmer has the story. Police make their presence known as hundreds of marchers parade around the town square in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. They carry signs that read, Enough is Enough, and Stop Terrorism. Islam is not a religion! Another woman yells out, Have you forgotten the Twin Towers? What's got these people so upset is a proposal to build what would eventually be a 52,000-square-foot Islamic center, complete with worship space, a cafe, and even a pool. There's already a small inconspicuous mosque hidden in a complex of office suites behind a quick lube. But the congregation has outgrown the space. The leader of the opposition has tried stopping construction with environmental and traffic concerns. But that's not what's on the mind of most who are rallying against the mosque, like Ben Fletcher. We're Christians, and this religion represents people that are against Christians. I mean, that's something that we need to look at, you know, because you're going to have a lot of trouble down the line. Fletcher says he doesn't know exactly what trouble looks like, but he and others worry about terrorist links and Muslims wanting to impose Sharia law. All of a sudden now, you know, there's a movement uh, against uh, Islam and Muslim. Saleh Spinati is an engineering professor from Syria and a leader of the growing Muslim congregation. He's lived in Tennessee three decades, but says he's never seen this level of Islamophobia. We did not see that immediately after 9-11. And all of a sudden now, it is part of politics, and it's like, you know, I can get more votes if I can bash Islam more and Muslim more. The mosque debate has played out in state politics. The lieutenant governor had to back away from campaign statements suggesting Islam might be a cult. A candidate for Congress, who was up front about her suspicions of Muslims, nearly won the Republican primary this month. But in Murfreesboro, there is also a healthy amount of support for the mosque, even among non-Muslims. In fact, many are Christians themselves, like Allison Belt. Anyone who has a religion that falls within the boundaries of our laws, such as the Muslim community here, should have access to a place to worship. They need more room, they need more space. I went to an open house at their place two weeks ago. It is crowded and hot. At least one opponent is trying to find out more about Islam. Tansy Webb showed up at the existing mosque this week. She said she wants to look its leaders in the eye and get some questions answered. After seeing prayers, Webb talks with the imam. She tells him she's afraid following the Quran to the letter makes for extremists and terrorists. Afterwards, she says the meeting didn't convince her otherwise. It did not put my mind at ease at all, but I tried to come in with a very open mind. I did not come in thinking this group is evil. My main thing is safety, safety, safety. That's safety from violent extremism, she says. Webb says she has a long way to go before she can be comfortable with a big Islamic center, whether it's going to be next door or in New York City. For NPR News, I'm Blake Farmer in Nashville. 
Aren't you glad that we're represented by that first guy who spoke in the news story? Well, we're Christians. Like, aren't we glad that that's who's the national representative? You got to understand, NPR is heard like by 20 million people every single day. I mean, this is like this is where people get their education about issues around this, the United States, and especially among like our nation's elites, which we will be talking about because that has to do with society and culture. Like, where are our elites and what do they think? Because they have their fingers on a lot of the buttons that we wish we had our fingers on. So in this particular case, you can hear they juxtapose. I mean, could they find a more reasonable person to speak on behalf of the Islamic side? And they found a well-spoken, professorial type who expressed his case very well compared to the first guy that they got. Is that the media tilting it? I don't know. It doesn't matter. That's what 20 million people heard. Um, I'm glad there was somebody who said, like, I think that if freedom of religion, it means freedom for all religions, right? I think that was good. That's a fair balance representation. I think when people say, I'm an honest person, you know, the adage is you're usually not. So when someone says, I'm really open-minded, then the, probably the implication is maybe you're not. Yeah. I think that kind of the deeper irony, and Phil reminded me of it, uh, that woman also said that she was concerned because if you take the Quran literally, you know, it could have negative consequences. But, but if you take a bunch of stuff in the Bible literally, it could also have some fairly negative consequences too. You know, if it means gouging out your eyes and causing you sin or stoning women who have sex before they get married. There's all kinds of fun stuff in there where if you took it literally, I mean, we don't. And so I, I mean, I assume that in some, in some sense, she probably thinks she does. But I mean, if she were to actually sit down, you know, and read cover to cover, you know, she might even have an issue with it. So it's interesting that she applies that standard to understanding the Quran. But if you were to really push back, I think she might say, well, you know, I don't mean all everything. You know, I mean these some things. So. Okay. The American Center for Law and Justice is kind of like the right-wing Christian version of the ACLU. Jay Sokolow is the person who leads it. They're engaging in cases all the time, trying to jump in on behalf of churches, and they do a lot of work uh, for religious freedom. So they do good work. But here's his quote about the Islamic Center that's going up in Manhattan. The American Center for Law and Justice, by the way, were witnesses in the commission, and the ACLJ re repeatedly stated that it objects to having a mosque on the site. Here's his quote. We're hopeful that the court will nullify the commission's vote, and that vote was to allow the Islamic Center to go forward, and conclude what most New Yorkers and Americans understand. This site is sacred ground and not a place to build a mosque. Anyone catch the irony of the statement? Sacred ground is no place to build a mosque. So there's an assumption in the statement. Now, again, I want to be clear. I don't believe that Islam is a true religion. But the point is not that. The point is how do we engage in this society? When we make statements like this, I mean, this is a statement that people held up and mocked. So where you build a mosque is not sacred ground to somebody? By the way, why is it sacred? Is it because there was a church there? Is it because this is where Jesus was crucified? Is this the site of the resurrection? Why is this ground sacred? Because it's a patriotic site. It's where we were hit in a gruesome terrorist attack. So even somebody who is talking from a Christian perspective trying to engage society is conflating everything. To him, sacredness is, for the moment, completely devoid of Christianity. Sacredness is what New Yorkers and Americans understand to be sacred. Sacredness is a patriotic a nationalistic symbol, nothing to do with our faith. 
There's nothing about the Twin Towers, the center of finance in New York, that's sacred to the Christian faith. But when we miss those points, we are speaking to the society in a language that they look at us and they go, so you're just a puppet for the right wing? What are you? What's going on? I don't understand this. Explain it. Joseph. But my, I actually have a question to you of what you thought. But let's say there's a big, I'm just turning this around. If there was a big Muslim community and they had like, like these two big buildings with a lot of Muslims and fanatics came in with an airplane like proclaiming Christianity came in and killed, killed you know, equivalent amount of Muslims that died on 9-11. And then, a, and then a big church was going to come in and build the church. What would you think about that? Do you think it's reasonable for Muslims to oppose that? Or should, like, what kind of standards are you? Yeah, and this is where I want to be clear. This is where, to me, the answer doesn't matter. The question isn't, do I think they should build a mosque? The question isn't, do I think we should build a church? The question is, what should Christians be spending their time on? I would probably say to you, as we'll go through this series, that maybe that isn't what I would be spending my time on, because I don't see that as a purpose of the church. But you have to come to those conclusions. I don't even know that that's going to be my conclusion. I just want to be clear on what the question is, so that we don't veer off into those things and say, hey, this is crazy, what would they think of Christians? Like, that's not the question we're addressing. What we're going to be building is a method of determining when we should be involved and when we shouldn't. So I don't mean to dismiss the comment, but I don't want to get into arguing the merits of these points. See, we always get stuck in the merits. We always get stuck in our emotion and our political view and our background and what we think. But the question is, let's go beyond that for a moment and think, what should we be involved in and what shouldn't we be? Yeah. Um, I don't know that it's necessarily something that we should be involved in, but if we are, I think it's important to look at how we're involved in it. Because the way that all these interviews coming off are like a message of hate, not a message of love and forgiveness. I don't know what that looks like as far as if we were really involved in a loving and forgiving way. But like, I think that it's turning a lot of people away. Yeah, I'm hearing that loud and clear from you tonight. The first we have to determine if we shouldn't be involved. And then we have to determine how we're going to be involved. AJ? Um, yeah, I'd also agree with that as far as, um, I think, what, I mean, the question that you're posing, how we should be involved and what that looks like is something that we should ask ourselves and not just blindly fall into, like, political agendas when they use jargon like sacred or, you know, unholy or, you know, they're, you know, this and that they're terrorists, they're extremists. And when, when we see those words, I think we need to kind of say, okay, well, why are you saying that? Because I think a lot of times we get pulled into political agendas and that religious voting block gets exploited. So I'm not so sure that there's a lot of politics and that they really care of what's built there. I think it's more of they care what agenda they can push through and what that looks like as far as what, what Ryan was saying is, you know, how can we be involved? Should it be, you know, by opposing it or by welcoming people and say, all right, well, let's compromise. Maybe not build this here. Maybe, you know, move it here. And, you know, that way at least there's some compromise, some communication that's being involved and not just blindly saying no. But the question is, should Christians be involved in the compromise? Is that what you're saying? Yes. Okay, so we're going to be peacemakers in that role. Okay. Because, look, I mean, just to be clear, I mean, Christians are the only ones opposing this, right? But that's not what I don't want to get into. There's, let's assume there's all sorts of religious groups and there's American groups and non-religious groups and everybody else. There's a lot of opposition to it. That still doesn't answer our question. The question is, should we get involved? Last comment. I think, too, that like, it's, the way we should get involved is just by showing more like people in the community 
like what our religion is about and like why we believe what we believe instead of bashing other religions. Sure, we might, I mean, we don't agree that Islam's a way, but I mean, hating them and doing all that uh, is not helping anyway. If anything, we should reach out to the community more and show them why we're Christians and what that's all about. So if anything, it, like our involvement should be more in that than it should be in arguing about this whole issue. Okay. How about this issue? Let's move on to one that Jeremy said was a lot harder because you have to figure out what side you might be on. Um, here's one that presumes they know what side you're on. Let me show you this video and then you can tell me what you think of this. Proposition 8 is very straightforward. It defines marriage as being between one man and one woman. That's if it. If Prop 8 fails, the concept of what a family is will be redefined and it'll be up for grabs. And it's not just for, for us, it's for our children. The devil wants to blur the lines between right and wrong when it comes to family structure. But our children aren't confused about what marriage is and about what men and women are. If Prop 8 fails, it opens up the door for all the other laws that the homosexual agenda wants to enforce on other people. And we will see a further demise of the family. Gender-friendly bathrooms. Religious liberties. If California loses on the subject of marriage, then this goes nationwide. How California goes, the rest of the country will go. Nationwide. This is where marriage the symbol of our salvation, the symbol of our relationship with Christ. And if we can't stand up to protect that, what will we stand up to protect? I know so many Christians that are walking in fear, but the Bible says that perfect love casts out all fear. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of love and a sound mind. It requires that everyone be registered, that they're voting, that don't be afraid, that they tell their friends, their neighbors. Someone believes in same-sex marriage, you say you believe in biblical marriage. We cannot be ashamed to stand up for Jesus Christ. Do what he did. He stood up for you in the public forum. Now you stand up for him. Don't be like Peter and deny him. Every vote is going to count. We've got a lot of people on the streets. We've got a lot of people on phones. The churches coming together, pastors coming together. It's an unprecedented response from Californians. I think it is very, very doable. This is a winnable battle. I see God doing something amazing. I think he's giving America a second chance. California could be the springboard to send this across the nation. What you're hearing oftentimes in the media is different from what we know to be true. That could also be the state that stops it. Let me encourage you to stand up for what's right, speak out on what's right, and go to the polls and vote yes on Prop 8. Is the message that we're supposed to stand up in front of an oncoming train? I think that's the imagery I get out of that video when I see it. Like, I'm ready. Like, because perfect love, you just hold it. It just stops, you know? My favorite line out of that, by the way, is just appealing to our, the, the better nature in us. He stood up for you. You stand up for him. Don't be like Peter and deny him. <laughs> that's right. If nothing else works, guilt everybody into doing it because, you know, he stood up for you publicly. What do you think of that? Is this an arena we should be involved in? I know the question is going to be how, but let's talk about should we be involved. This is a quick kind of thing with the other, with any of these issues. At least for now, I think we should be involved only because other Christians are involved. Um, and so we're going to like, think Randy and Sam is like, because that, that is how Christianity is represented in the media, and if we just ignore it, it's not going to change. Like, and 
the Son to be therefore we should be involved, at least in dealing with the other Christians that are being involved in it. I really think it is, like, it would be silly to think because the church has a strong stance, or at least um, you have to be able to act in some way or say something. It would be strange to think of if every Christian just didn't, you know, I don't want to go into that. I don't want to talk about that. Or something. That would be a very strange, I would think, very strange response and very uh, against what I think Christ would have us do. Now, again, it's not saying how do you engage or how do you oppose or go, you know, but to say nothing doesn't seem to be an option. So you think that it's not an option to just disengage? I mean, in some ways, it is a choice. I mean, I'm somebody who can say, yeah, at times you may not want to vote um, for a president or for this or that. Uh, you really can. And that is a choice, and it's not just indifference. Like, you can say, no, I actually do not agree, you know, so I'm choosing not to vote. Sure. Um, it would, it would be difficult, though, to not voice some sort of opinion. I mean, if you think of, again, you were saying, what do I do? What does my local church do? What does the church at, at large do? To think of a totally quiet church in this issue would, would be wrong. On this issue. Let's hear from you about that. Do you think we should weigh on this issue? And what do you think we should weigh in about? Like, What should we say? Or why should we weigh in on this issue? I want to just hear from you about that. Ben? Uh, I was thinking more on more on the lines of if we are so up in arms about this because it's a not a biblical that we should oppose this, why on earth are there so many things that we are not even beginning to talk about? If if because it's a sin we need to stand up and stop it from happening in the culture, aren't there so many things that are being directly breaking specific Ten Commandments that we just leave completely alone? I mean, how many people's parents have put out the pastor instead of being taken care of like a Good point. Anyone else? Yeah. I think it's a good point that it, since other Christians are involved in saying things like, um, this is going to destroy our families and fear longer, fear longer, I think we need to at least step in and address that and say, okay, that's a really uneducated thing to say. You're shooting out nonspecific threatening words and saying things like, vote for righteousness is in the battle. I think that's awful. Uh, very least, I think we should oppose that within our own ranks, saying, okay, let's not have this be our mouth. So your approach is, let's go in and talk to the people who are at least approaching this incorrectly in our own ranks. Okay? How many people agree with that? We should be involved for that reason. At a minimum, okay? Anyone else think we should get involved in this because this is an issue that, that Christ would want his church involved in? Yeah. I definitely think, yeah, and I think the reason why is because as a church, we're called to be the light. We're called to be that, um, you know, that beacon that people look to. And I think that the matter, in, the matter in which we address this, this question or, you know, this issue is, is digging into what people see of us. They'll see, okay, you know, they, they don't understand. They say, oh, they're going to ruin our marriage when we have the highest abortion rate. You know, they say we're going to ruin this, we're going to ruin that, but we can't even honor our best sanctity of our own marriage. So how can we really go and say, you know, this is wrong on your part, this is wrong, you can't be allowed to partake of this marriage. So I think in the manner, of, I'm not sure which way we should address it, which way we should be involved. But I think the, in the manner in which we, we do it should represent the way we feel it and not be so, you know, hateful, I guess. Okay. Anyone think we shouldn't get involved? Anyone feel like this is not our issue, let's get out of it? Someone's not voting. <laughs> yeah. Okay, anyone over here? Yes. Well, you know, off of that too, like, I think it's really important for, like, churches to be involved <coughs> in the sense of, like, 
engaging with each other. I mean, obviously there's different views. People come on a different stance on each side. And like, I think a lot of times people aren't really researching anything about maybe, you know, the few places it talks about it in the Bible. What do those words mean? What was culture at the time? Like, not really taking any of those things into account. And like, I think Christians should be engaging with each other, especially on issues that we have a different stance on. And like, because I've heard like a lot of things like, oh yeah, well those liberal churches, da, 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 and like, well they didn't even look at well, what is their argument or what is, how can I come to an understanding of, of what they're supporting, why they're supporting, and, and all of that. Like, it's more like you take a side rather than you know why you take the side. Okay. Yes. Um, when I'm looking at like issues concerning the homosexuality issue as well as issues concerning Muslims and things like that. I think I find it kind of interesting sometimes. I feel like as the church, we're not really engaged with our neighbors, um, and our neighbors include those that are Muslim and those that are gay and those that you know have a litany of problems in the same way that we have a litany of issues. And it seems like it's easier for us to compartmentalize them and say the others and them over there, and and yet we don't actually get our hands dirty and start wrestling with these issues until it comes to the ballot. Like, and we haven't really. I mean, a lot of times when I ask my Christian friends, you know, like, what's their stance on things, they're, then I'm like, okay, at the end of the day, like, do you have a gay friend? Do you have a Muslim friend? Like, what does that look like? What does it mean for us to live out Christ in our relationships and our friendships with those that are not like us? And how do we show Christ's love in that? And it's, it's really messy, you know? I, I have gay friends. I don't have very many Muslim friends, but I have Mormon friends. and I have, So it's, it's, it's this constant struggle for me trying to figure out, like, what, how do I witness Christ in these relationships? And yet, still honor the dignity and the and the image of God in these people, and love them the way that God would, and and yet still keep the integrity of the gospel this the same. Does that make sense? Okay. So so far, what I'm hearing, by the way, not one single person is saying we should not be involved. Is that right? Is there somebody in here that thinks that we have no business in this at all? Anyone? It's my yes, fun. It's my. It's my <laughs> I, was, I would say we don't have any business in it. But we've, some people have become engaged in it because of this. So in other words, like there are churches that didn't really have an issue with this, and then suddenly, because the issue came up, now all of a sudden uh, we are engaged because it's a question. Okay. Anyone else feel like I, we don't belong in this issue? Raise your hand if you don't feel like we don't belong. You, you, we don't belong. I just modified also. Okay. I think that our business belongs in the church and not outside the church. And Paul says in First Corinthians, judge us inside the church, not those outside. And even Jesus. Um, um, the Jews that's not expecting like a political figure aside, but Jesus he didn't go around like trying to restrict other people, but he said this is what I'm about, this is what um, God is about, and if you are going to follow me, this is what you need to be about. So I think we need to like she's we need to have dialogue with ourselves. Um, and our businesses within the church, like whether we stand for whatever we Okay, ready? Whether you're born like that or not, I think God's very clear that it, like, it's immoral in His eyes. And the more things that we let become law in our society that are immoral in God's eyes, the farther we move away from God in society, and the farther our society gets away, away from God, and then we're going to fall out of His grace. So I think it is an important issue to get involved in. Okay, I'm going to pick apart what you just said. Because again, what you guys have a tendency of doing, all of you, is you're starting to argue the merits again, right? And I'm looking for a methodology, not the merits of a specific issue. So, but, but, but let me pick apart what you said. You said that if we allow immoral laws, then we get further and further away from God in our society, and then he might withdraw his grace from us. 
So what I'm hearing, if I could pick out not the merits, but the actual method is what you're describing is you're saying, we have to assess how much this is impacting society and how far we are moving away from God. And if it has that enough of an impact, then maybe Christians should engage the issue. All right, that's a view that you're going to see expressed over and over from different people who debate it. So again, because we're going to change the issues. The issues could be anything. I'm not here to tell you which way to go. What I'm saying is when we see an issue, we have to stop and think, is this an issue I should be involved in? And on what basis? Like the method we're going to develop. And then when we do get involved, the question will be, how? Jeremy. I'd like to push back on poor man's restriction, too, because I, I noticed it over in this comment as well, in that uh, like Muslims and homosexuals are problems, or that, like, the, like, my question would be, like, who's in to begin with? So, like, that would, I think that would challenge that, like, methodologically, how do we, we can set that up? So if you say, well, you know, we're going to deal with only the problems in the church, and you believe that people who are homosexual are not a part of that, then, you know, we may have a potential problem, right? If you have another church that says, we're only going to deal, like, we're not going to engage, and here's the reason why we're not going to engage, but we believe everyone's included. Okay, so I think yeah, that's, a, that, that's what I think the problem is still. That's a whole big issue, but I think my point is that we shouldn't be involved politically on this issue. We should have discussion within our, ourselves and work it out in, within Christianity. See, I hear Cormac's comment as saying that Jesus was giving a standard to his disciples and that he wasn't concerned with the people who weren't. I'm not so sure that's 100% true, but that's what his point was. And I think there's, a, there's something to be said in there, which is, all right, even if Jesus was speaking about these things to his disciples, we still have to interpret who's a disciple and who isn't, who is he speaking to and who isn't in those cases. But at least we're starting to at least put some parameters on it. Megan. It feels a little creepy to me almost to think of like, should we as Christians act on this? Because it, it sort of feels like, should we like be this army and like go fight? And what I struggle with is like, what, you know, the body of Christ and the, the church, Big C and all that. But I think about like Delia and I think, well, maybe like Delia has a really close friend who is gay. And so like she wants to become like this means something to her as a Christ follower. And maybe it, it does it to me the same way. And should we all like decide when to rally or are we like a body with many parts and maybe some of the parts get involved in different things or not but well that last point would be an accurate description of the body of christ that we don't all have the same function however we do have the same head and we should have the same mind as paul says put on the mind of christ now let's bring it back to reality and thank you for doing that even if we conclude the right answer to when we get involved and when we don't and how at the end of this series, I have no delusions that anybody outside of this room, even people within this room, would all come to a unanimity of view and that we could get that. So the guy in Tennessee was like, we're Christians. Like, I don't think that if he heard the podcast, he'd be like, oh, you're right. That's what I should do. I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. I think that the diversity of Christianity is often our biggest problem, is that we don't see ourselves as a body with Christ as a head, with a mind that we should put on. We all think that we're entitled to come up with our own conclusions. Now, I know there's a practical reason for that. It's because we interpret what Christ said differently, or we even interpret whether to believe him or not differently on what thing. So I'm not blind to that. But I do know the ideal, which is one body with one head and all of us in mind to follow him wholeheartedly with our whole lives. 
and not to make individual democratic decisions on which part we believe and which ones we don't and which we're going to do. But again, I see the practicality of why we can't do that. Because we keep arguing amongst ourselves even about what we believe. How are we going to figure out how to act? So I like the comments that come in to say maybe we need to talk amongst ourselves just to educate ourselves about what we believe and why and where it comes from. And even to confront bigotry and ignorance and just lack of understanding within our own ranks first. Okay? Let me just show you two comments to close real fast. This is uh, Gerald McDermott from Renault College. He says, Christians should be concerned about the common good. And this is not for the common good. He's talking about specifically same-sex marriage. Social science has shown that children do best in a home with two parents of the opposite sex in a low-conflict marriage. And gay marriage makes that impossible for their children and less likely for society in general. So there's an example of what I'm talking about. There's somebody who's telling you why we should be engaged. This is their reason for getting involved. And maybe what we have to start to do is to look at those reasons carefully and start to talk amongst ourselves. For example, when I see this comment, social science has shown that children do best at a home with two parents of the opposite sex. Let's assume that's true. Shouldn't Christians be opposing divorce laws? Why aren't we rallying for that? Where is the Christian rallies among people who beat their kids? Where is that rally taking place? Why is it that, as I believe AJ pointed out, we have the highest divorce rate among any Americans within the evangelical church? Why? Shouldn't we be talking amongst ourselves about those issues? Or at least, if we're going to oppose certain laws, why do we enjoy, and I don't mean just favor, I mean I think we enjoy no-fault divorce in this country. Somehow everything's just forgiven. But in this particular area, we have such a hard time. Just a thought, and I want you to think about it, we're going to come back. Here's another one from our friend Sarah Sumner, who taught here at APU, is now the dean of A.W. Tozer Seminary, and she spoke to us before, and I've actually engaged in a conversation on the other side of her during the Prop 8 period where she was rallying some people, and she recently wrote this in Christianity Today. She wrote, in a democracy, Christians can love others best. How? by voting for laws that uphold the truth as revealed by God. We've kind of heard that already. When a law lies, by saying something forbidden by God is permissible, people are set up for long-term hurt. God's universal laws are for the benefit and welfare of all people, not just Christians. It's just as harmful for an unbeliever to be involved in same-sex sin as it is for a Christ follower. What's key to her argument, I know because we've discussed it, is when a law lies. She thinks that when we pass laws, we've seen that comment come forward as well, that you could have laws that are actually hurtful to society and actually start to put us in a place where we're getting further and further from God's intent for law. You might disagree about what God's law is, or we might have trouble interpreting it, but we know the purpose of God's law is for our own protection, benefit and welfare of all people, not just Christians. She would make that argument. But again, we have to dig deeper when we think about this. Laws that lie. I can think of a lot of laws that lie. Can't you? How about the First Amendment? The First Amendment says that we can view pornography, right? That's against God's laws. That would be a law that lies. 
And yet it's codified into our constitutional rights. Our constitutional rights include the right of freedom of speech, something that all of us would defend completely. I'm not so sure that God would say, you can say anything you want about everything you want. I don't know that that's biblical. In a way, we conflate again our views of what is a civil American right with maybe what God would say. Because I don't remember any part of the Bible that says you can just say anything you want and you have freedom of speech. I don't know that that's the biblical standard. I don't know that the rest of the First Amendment actually is really the biblical standard of establishing no religion. I mean, God didn't do that when he had the chance. He actually says, I'm your God and you're my people. It's just the opposite. So we have to be careful when we start making statements because I look at this and I think, even among somebody who's a friend of mine, I'm not sure I agree with your reasons for getting into the debate. I might still get into the debate. I might stand side by side with you, but I'm not even sure that we've thought through what you've said. Because to me, that's not a valid basis, because there's a lot of laws of life. Now she might say, well, let's not make it worse. Okay, and I would say, why make the stance on this one? Is there any other reason? Aren't there bigger ones we should be attacking? Like maybe we should repeal no-fault divorce. Maybe that would make Christians really distinct if we stood up and said enough is enough about that one and said no more families being split apart. Let's push for reconciliation instead of no-fault divorce. Just an idea. Controversial. We'll come back next week and pick up with some of these. And yes, as we go forward, you'll see a couple more things start to happen. I'll start recommending books that we're going to be reading through. So this isn't all just off the top of our heads. We've got about four or five books we'll be going through if you want to pick some of those up. And also, we'll start actually putting some bones for you to put stuff on next week with some ideas that others who have thought through this over the centuries and in recent times have said about the role of the church in society and in culture in general. All right, let's pray and close up with some worship. God, take this humble stewardship of time that we have committed Lord, may not be just an exercise in expanding our minds, but ultimately, Lord, what we're trying to do here is to expand our capacity to be followers of you. And there's a lot of work that we have in this area. So, Lord, may it be something that you honor and bless. May we have read correctly even just the desire to spend time in this series. May you produce fruit from our willingness to engage difficult questions that are not easy to answer, that we may not have good answers for at all. But Lord, in the end, what we desire to do is to become closer to you and more effective witnesses for you in our culture. Lord, teach us the methods that we should and should not use. Help us to discern when it is time for your church to act. And Lord, we pray even for the impossible tonight. And that impossible thing is for unity in the body of Christ. You prayed for the church in unity and we pray in the same way, Lord, knowing how difficult that is in our day and age of individualism. But Lord, may your body be unified under one Christ, one mind. Pray this in your name. Amen.